are few things that unsettle us as much as financial struggles. Our joy and peace are so strongly linked to our financial security. That's why God gave us over 800 passages on money in the Bible. This is Treasure, a four-part series on how to get the financial life God intends for you. finishing the series we've been doing called Treasure. This is part four of our Treasure series. And so if you've been here, you know the series was built around four principles of biblical finances based on four passages that talk about our treasure. And so far we've covered the principle that money is the greatest competitor for our devotion to God. We've covered the principle that we give to change our hearts. You don't wait for your hearts to change. Your hearts change because you give. We've covered the third principle that being strapped and stressed is not God's intent. It's not more Christian to be broke. It's not what he intends for you. Today, we're going to finish the series with the toughest, maybe the most uncomfortable. It is definitely the least understood and the most objected to. And it's the principle of giving God our first fruits, giving back to him the first tenth of what he's given to us. We call it tithing. It's that word that we've heard before, and you wonder, what does that word mean? It's, I'm not even sure it's English. Well, it comes from the idea of a tenth. We give God the first 10% of everything. And what I love about the video we just saw, the key points from this video, is that this is not a rule to follow, but it comes out of a heart of gratitude for what God has done for us. The example that we've seen all throughout the course of history, and even God himself gave first of his first fruits. And so it's about that heart. But the truth is, Tithing is quite often a struggle, right? I mean, if I were to take a vote on the things you would want to hear me preach about, this probably would not make the top 10 list. And, and some of you right now are going, oh, darn, if I had just known, honey, we could have gone away to the beach for the weekend. You know, but look, it, 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 there are so many reasons that we struggle with the idea of tithing. Uh, sometimes it's just because we've got objections. We think we know reasons that Christians aren't supposed to tithe anymore. That was long ago. That was before Jesus. We shouldn't tithe anymore, Right. Maybe you've read that one on the internet. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, sometimes it's just because we don't object at all. We just don't tithe. And it might be because we think that we're just too broke. You know, we, we give after we've done everything else and paid all the bills, and sometimes there's just never enough. Maybe we just think 10% is too much. I mean, that's a pretty big number. Or maybe we just think we already do so much for God. Now, I don't know about you, but that would be my first category that I used to think I fit into. A little bit of my story, of course. Um, when I graduated college, I felt God had done something pretty significant in my life and that he had called me to move to the mission field, move halfway around the world and to help plant churches talking about who Jesus was in a nation that had formerly been communist and the wall had fallen, all kinds of exciting things were going on. And, and so I had graduated college with a degree as a concert pianist. I was going to be one of those folks who goes on stage and does all these performances and so forth. And I gave that up. You like that? How we say we do that. I gave that up for God. I was supposed to go off to a conservatory and get a master's degree so that I could continue in this great musical career. But I felt God had called me in another direction. So I gave up that career to go and follow God and to live in a strange country and to eat strange foods and, and so forth. And I thought, surely that's enough. That's all God would want from me. 
Besides, I am living on peanuts. Have you ever tried to raise support as a missionary when you're like 22 and just graduated college? Everybody thinks you just want like a free ride to tour Europe or something. You know, you're really going to tell people about Jesus? I don't think so. I'm not. So, so there wasn't a lot of money. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, God, you want me to take part of this small amount of money, which, by the way, is already coming from people's gifts. Didn't you already get your cut? And, and you want me to take part of this and to give it, I mean, I've given you my whole life, God. I mean, I don't even get Christmas with my family. I don't know what your story may be. You may serve on three teams every weekend. You know, you do one service in the blue shirt and then you run and put on the red shirt or you, or you paint till, you know, two hours in, into the morning. or so. I don't know what you do, but we may have this idea. I've already given God enough and it might be the reason that we don't tithe. So look, wherever you are today, what I want to do is give you the reasons that my wife and I started tithing because we didn't tithe naturally. It didn't come. It isn't, even as someone who was spreading the gospel, I wasn't tithing. Moved back to America and got a job as a teacher and still didn't tithe, even though I was a volunteer youth pastor on the side. I didn't understand the point of it. I didn't understand if it was even biblical. Uh, the pastor that I had at the time didn't want to talk about money. He didn't want the reputation of being a church that doesn't or that talks about money all the time. And I used to be one of those pastors. I spoke on money two years ago, and I actually had to open that series by repenting to you of never teaching about money. And yet many of you are coming to me and asking me for bankruptcy attorneys and so forth. And, and when your financial lives are going that way, and I'm the one that's not telling you that God has ideas on how to live with money, then that would have been wrong of me. And so we don't talk about it all the time, but look, it is a deeply spiritual issue. It's one of those things. I said it in the first part of the series. Money is the greatest competitor for our devotion to God. So I want to share with you why we tithe and why I think it's still a good idea for everyone who follows God to do so. So our main passage will be in Malachi. We'll get there in just a minute. You can turn with me if you have your Bibles. Go ahead and turn to Malachi. It's the very last thing in the Old Testament, so it's easy to find. But first, I want to lay, lay the foundation of the entire message there is a foundation of God's intent for people who follow after God's ways. And it comes out of Proverbs that says, In the house of the righteous, there is much treasure. You guys have figured out how we name the series Treasure by now, right? So there is much treasure in the house of the righteous, but trouble befalls the income of the wicked. Now, I want you to understand something. In the Bible, there's different types of books in the Bible. There's different types of literature. So, for instance, Psalms is poetry, and Genesis would be history, and there are different types. Well, the book of Proverbs is what we call a wisdom book. It's a collection of sayings that are truisms that mean they're observations of human nature and observations of how God interacts with human nature, and they're true more often than not. So when you read the book of Proverbs, and it talks about the righteous and the wicked, it's not talking about people going to heaven and hell exactly. It's talking about people who follow after God and do His ways, righteous, or people who follow not after God and do their own ways, the wicked. It's just an adjective description of people who choose one of those paths. So we talk about the righteous, much treasure, wicked, income befalls trouble. Here's a question for us as we go any further. Does trouble befall your income? Now, this is not going to be one of those messages where raising your hand and shouting amen is really going to be very popular or a good idea because you want to go, yeah, me all the time. No. We, we'd all know why. 
But we, we, we have this happen to us still where the boss comes around at work and says, hey, just want to let you know the board of directors looked at our statements from last year. Company did way better than we thought. And we've decided we're giving a bonus to all the employees. Here's a check you didn't know was coming. And wow, man, that would be awesome, wouldn't it? We'd be excited about that. We'd be doing a little happy dance and, and skipping all the way home, running the door. Hey, honey, guess what happened? We're all excited, except as soon as you walk in the door and you've got this extra money, your wife is standing there to tell you the refrigerator, the dishwasher, and the stove, they all broke today. <laughs> Trouble befalls the income. I'm not calling you wicked, but just saying. If it happens. And look, I want to be clear, this is not a perfect equation that every time you give, you win the lottery. That's, that's not the way that works. But I think that you can summarize your own financial life because I'm not promising that Christians never have struggles and I'm not promising that Christians all get Mercedes. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I've preached against that multiple times. That's not who I'm saying. But if the summary of your financial life is one step forward and two steps back, or at the very least one step forward, one step back, we just never get anywhere. If that summary is there, I think it's time to ask that question. Why? is the pattern of my life in that way. And so if you were to ask me out of all these financial principles that I've talked about, the four things that we've covered, I can prioritize them. There is one that is more important than the others. It is very important for you to be generous. It is very important for you to have a budget. It is very important for you to stay out of debt. But more than anything, I believe our financial lives have to be built on the cornerstone of honoring God with our first fruits. Just like our spiritual life is built on the cornerstone of Jesus and nothing else. How can our spiritual lives have such a cornerstone of God, but then our financial lives have a cornerstone of us? It's just never going to work that way. So I believe first and most important is that we honor God with our first fruits, which brings us to the five reasons I want to give you. My wife and I have decided in our lives we tithe. It's non-negotiable for us. We began this many, many years ago probably going on almost two decades. We're going to have our 19th anniversary in a few months. And that's uh, exciting, isn't it? We made it, honey. That's cool. We're going to do a marriage series in February. That's an exciting story. Y'all should come back for that one. The number one reason, though, is that it's God's way. It's God's way. It begins in Malachi 3. This says, from the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. I want you to understand, this is the most famous passage on tithing. People always use it. But this was not a passage teaching about tithing. That at the point in history where this prophet was speaking the words of God, it was actually a correction to God's people because they had quit following God's ways. They weren't tithing. They weren't doing many other things. And they were doing many things they shouldn't have been doing. And so this is a correction. This is not the first time it shows up and says, let me explain to you what this is. This word statutes that we see, what that really means is God's prescription for how to live life. We look at the word and go, oh, rules. No, that's not what it meant. It meant, here's a really good idea. Look, my kids, if I took them for a hike in the mountains, might misinterpret, don't get that close to the edge to be a rule. Stay on the path. They might misinterpret that to be some kind of rule that robs them of their freedom. No, it's giving them life, not robbing them of their freedom. And so God's idea of statutes is the same thing as saying, look, there's a pothole. Don't walk in it. Stay on the path that's right here. So statutes means God's ways for living. And he keeps correcting the people. And he says, return to me and I'll return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But then you say, how shall we return? Isn't it odd the next words out of God's mouth? 
Will a man rob God? Wait a minute. So you're talking about people who are not following after your way, God. And when, when the question is, how should they come back to you? The first thing you get after is their money. Hmm, this might be the second passage we've come across that affirms that money is our greatest competitor for our devotion to God. Anyway, he says, will a man rob God? Yeah, you're robbing me. So you say, wait a minute, how have we robbed you? And the answer God gives is in your tithes and your contributions. He goes on to say, you're cursed with a curse for you are robbing me. And what we discover is that in God's word, in everything, there's blessing and there's curse. And it's incredibly simple. It's not like a witch dancing around a campfire and stirring the pot and, you know, sprinkling a curse on you. It is blessings are simply positive uh, consequences that come into your life from obeying God's word. And curse is simply negative consequences that come into your life from disobeying God's word. It's, it's really a simple concept. It says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test. Very famous part to understand there. God is challenging you. The only place in scripture where God lets you challenge him. The only place. He challenges you to challenge him. You, you don't get to do this in any other category. Put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. See if I will not open the windows of heaven for you. And pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. And I, God, I will rebuke the devourer for you. See, this is where we come back to what we just read, that trouble befalls the income of those who don't live according to God's ways. Because there is a biblical principle. When you say, God, I'm not doing it your way, God says, then my hand of protection has been removed. You don't want to do it my way? You can have it your way. Let me show you the way that that comes. This is not just about money. This happens in your marriage. When you don't want to do marriage God's way, when you don't want to do obeying your parents God's way, teenagers, y'all listening to me? When you don't want to do anything according to God's way, God says, okay, you can have it your way. Let's just see how much of that you can really handle. And then trouble befalls the income. But God's promise is if we will do this, we can test him. And then he rebukes the devourer so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil. And your vine in the field shall not fail to bear. Let's bring this into 2015. Obviously, this was being spoken to and written to a people who were very agricultural. What they understood was I grow this and I either trade it or sell it. It is my income. My crop is my income. We don't have many farmers here in the metropolis of Columbia, South Carolina. So what that really means when it talks about this today, the phrase uh, that he uses there, uh, that the vine in the field shall not fail to bear. You're the vine. And the field is this world with your career and your job. It means that you're going to continue to be able to go out to work. Your health is going to be there. Your intelligence is going to be there. You're not going to be unemployed, at least not for extended periods of time. God's hand of favor is going to be on you to help you continue to be able to produce something that brings income into your house. And God's intent for his people, the final thing, then all nations will call you blessed. For you will be a land of delight says the Lord of hosts. God is correcting his people who have walked away from following his words because his words were to give him from the first fruits. Honor him with the first fruits. And so when we tithe, I think this is important for us to understand. When we tithe, we acknowledge his place as God and our place as his people and as his followers. See, it works like this. When God commands and I obey it equals that he is God. But if we want to read things a little differently, and so we read it like this. He suggests, I decide. 
It equals he's my advisor. The question we have to ask ourselves today is not really do we like the idea of tithing. The only question is do we believe it's God's word? Is he your God or is he your advisor? How does that line up with every area of your life and not just finances? And then I know some people would object at this point. Well, well, Jimmy, that's, that's a little stiff to go there. Is this the Word of God? I mean, yeah, it's the Word of God, but you know it is the Old Testament. And so that was back with the law. And Jesus came, and Jesus died on the cross to set us free from the law. We don't have to live under the law anymore. True, you don't have to live under the law anymore, but can, can I help us out here? One of the things of the law, one of the commandments, the first part of the law was, you shall not steal. One of the things of the law was, you shall not commit adultery. So how many of you would dare come up on stage and say, I want to let y'all know, Jesus died on the cross, I therefore am going to steal from you now. I'm not under the law anymore. I dare any one of you to go home to your spouse today and say, hey honey, just want to let you know I'm not under the law, I shall be committing adultery, and you will get over it. How's that going to go for you? Now, that doesn't even matter because it's not even the law. That was one of the biggest objections I hear from people all the time. I'm not under the law. Jesus died on the cross. What has that got to do with anything? Tithing didn't come from the law. We saw in the video, tithing came from the very beginning of humanity with the first generation when these Cain and Abel decided to make an offering to God. Why would they make an offering to God? Can we just stop and think about this for a minute? Why would any intelligent human being take an animal and say, Oh, look, there's an animal. I will sacrifice you on a fire and let you burn up to heaven. Why would this other person say, Look, I grew crops. I'll take some of it. I'm going to go over here and I'm going to throw it on a fire and let it burn up to heaven. Why? Unless God had told them to bring an offering to me. We don't have that passage in the book of Genesis, but we know that somehow it was there. We know that that was what was spoken. We know that God had lots of conversations with Adam and Eve and the first family and things that are not all recorded. And so it's very clear this was something that God wanted. And from the beginning of humanity, the idea of bring your first fruits. In case you're confused about the idea of the law, it came through a guy named Moses. Went up on the mountain, God gave him the Ten Commandments and he brought them back down. 500 years before that event... A guy named Abraham. You may have heard of Abraham. Abraham went into a battle, and God blessed him. And when he came out of the battle, he ran into a priest, someone who was one of God's people. And he recognized that what God had done was to provide him the ability to win the battle, that God had blessed him either with strength or wisdom or whatever it took. He recognized that if God had not shown up, he wouldn't even have lived through the battle, <clears throat> much less have all of the spoils and so what did he do as a principle of honoring God? 500 years before the law, he gave a tenth. We see it in Genesis 14 on the screen here. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of God Most High. And he blessed him, Abraham that is, and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God who's delivered your enemies into your hand. In other words, he did a little preaching there. And blessed be God that turned you into this situation, that provided for you and poured out his wealth and his graciousness upon you. And what did Abraham do in response? He worshiped God by giving a tenth of everything. Worshiping God by giving back from our provision is simply a way of life for his people. It's God's way. Recognizing God gave me the victory. God gave me this job. 
God gave me this health. God gave me this intelligence. God increased me. God blessed me. Let me honor God. Simple. Second reason is it honors God. It honors God. Here's what it means to honor God. It means giving God the first part before you take your part. Do you realize how good we are at honoring people? You invite people over to your house for dinner and you say, no, 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 excuse me, I'm going first. Who do you think you are? This is my house. And my chicken. Get your hands off my chicken. If there's any left over, you can have it. Would anybody do that? Well, maybe in New Jersey, but not here. I don't know. <laughs> there's always somebody. Just trying to figure out where you guys are from. We honor people. We're going to give them the best. We're going to give them the first. Somebody comes over to watch the big game at your house, the Super Bowl coming up. If y'all didn't know this, I'm going to help you out and not get beat up next week. Here's what you do. Hey, thanks for coming. This is the best seat in the house. It's got the straight on view of the TV. Why don't you take my seat? We honor people. And that's what God is saying to do is to honor him. We give him the first part before we take our part. Honoring him means showing gratitude for what we've just received. It's recognizing that God is our ultimate provider. It's not our hard work. It's him. And the fact that we can work hard. The fact that God put it into your constitution to work hard. Because you know what? Not everybody does. There are lazy people in this world. There are people who are unemployed and it's their fault. There are people who didn't graduate school and can't get a job and it's their fault. And if you did all of that stuff, don't sit there going all smug. Well, I, I worked hard. I got a degree. I did this. I put up with that. And I did, no. Why do you think God made you with a constitution to work hard and to show up every day? Well, that guy over there is a loser. You should be thanking God for that. You should be saying, thank you, God. You made me to do what you've given me to do. It's a gift of his grace. Every time we get paid, we take a test. And it's a test of whom we will honor. Will we honor God? Or will we honor ourselves? You see, if we honor God, it goes like this. He gave me strength. He gave me health. He gave me a job. You've heard me say that. We give God the first 10%. But if we honor ourselves, our attitude is, I want this. I deserve this. I worked hard. It's all about me. And we love the joke we used to say back in high school. Man, if they had just given me the answers, I would have aced that test. Right? You remember saying that? If I would had the answer key, I would have aced that thing. Well, guess what? You have the answer key to this one. And some of us are not acing it. Unfortunately, number three, number three, I did that yesterday. Some guy asked something. I said six. <laughs> I don't know why I did that. Number three, Jesus said to, Jesus said to, some people object like I was reading a minute ago, the Old Testament passage, and they say, look, if the only thing that you've got on tithing is Old Testament, then I'm not interested. What if Jesus told you to do it? We have a very Famous passage where Jesus is rebuking religious people and he's correcting them for the way that they live. And he says this, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you tithe your spices. You guys are ridiculous. You go out to your garden. There's an extra leaf on the bush. You cut it off. You cut it into 10 pieces and you take one of the pieces to the priest. You tithe so perfectly it's amazing but then you neglect the weightier matters of the law you don't have justice you don't have mercy you don't have faithfulness and Jesus says exactly what you think he would say what are you doing tithing that so stupid Old Testament law no I'm sorry he didn't say that did he he says these you should have done but without neglecting the others 
He didn't look at him and say, you tithed and you didn't do this. You chose the wrong one. What he did is said, no, 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 you chose the right one. You just didn't do everything. You left out things that are more important. You, you try to honor God, but you're not even really doing it because you're just following rules. Because if you were honoring God, you would have treated people differently than you do. Sad part is they actually had the checkbook part. They were giving God the first 10 of that, but they didn't have the rest of the heart that goes with it. The fourth reason is it's about stewardship, is the question we have to ask. It's really, is this about stewardship or ownership? Is your money your money? Is your life your life? We make a, a big deal sometimes out of these people who are willing to give up their life to go and live around the world. We had some folks that spent the weekend with us that are preparing to do that. They're going to give up their life in their 20s and go live in a Muslim nation to spread the gospel. And many of us look at them and go, oh my gosh, you're so more, much more spiritual than I am. I can't believe you would give up your life to do that. And they look at you and go, what are you talking about? I don't have a life to give up. Amen. Jesus died on the cross. Do you know what I'd be without him? What do you, you think this is mine? You think this belongs to me? And if this doesn't belong to me, why do we think our bank account does? The only reason it exists is to make this thing comfortable, at least in our eyes. It's really an issue of stewardship. I want to I give you a, an illustration. It's kind of silly, but will you guys just go with me? Plus, it helps those of you that are going to sleep. It'll wake you up. Hey, can I, can I borrow you, Chris? And how about you, Oscar? And how about you, Mike? We'll do that. Come, you guys would come stand right here and uh, face the crowd. All right. First of all, one of these is going to be a good guy. Y'all decide who it is. Who's the good guy today? Right here. All right, Chris, Chris is the good guy. He's going to win. So here's how this goes. Um, silly illustration, but follow me here. I have used this before. I used it a couple years ago. If you've been around Grace Life for a long time, you've seen this. Have mercy on me. It's just too good not to use. All right, so here's how this works. I am an incredibly wealthy businessman. I do lots of oil deals in Saudi Arabia and so forth. I travel a lot. I'm all around the world all the time. And so I am getting ready to be gone for an extended period of time. And I'm going to ask these three guys, friends of mine, to take care of my family while I'm gone. And it goes like this. I'm going to come up to Mike and say, hey, Mike, I've got a pretty good deal for you. You know, I'm a pretty wealthy businessman, but I need somebody to look in on my wife, make sure that she's doing well. I'm going to give you $10,000 a month ask one thing in return, Mike. Will you chop, stop by, check on my wife, and give her a thousand a month for whatever it is she needs to do? Can you do that? Good deal? Yeah. All right, great. Hey, Chris, I'm going to be gone for an extended period of time. I'm a wealthy businessman. You know how that goes. I've got really countless amounts of money. Uh, very simple deal. I'm going to offer you $10,000 a month. $9,000 is for your trouble in this life, buddy. That's the way it goes. But will you take care of my wife, give her a thousand dollars a month, make sure her needs are met? Count on you. Thank you. I knew I could. And then Oscar, same deal. You've heard the deal. I understand how that goes. Are you, are you good with this? I'm going to give you 10. You're going to only give one to my wife. And you, know, uh, you got 10 fingers, yeah, so yeah. You, can, you can get there. You're going to go. Yeah. All right, good. All right. So after I've been gone for an extended period of time, I'm going to call my wife and say, hey, honey, how is this going? And she's going to say, well, you know, Mike, Mike's a good guy. He's one of your buddies. And so um, Mike has been very faithful. He's been given $1,000 a month, just like you asked. Awesome. Mike. Thanks, man. Great job. Appreciate that. Okay. Well, how about Oscar? How's Oscar doing? And she's going to say, well, you know, Oscar was great for like the first month. <laughs> Unfortunately, the second month, it went down to about a few hundred. And then the third month, I haven't heard from Oscar again. He hasn't even really stopped by the house to check on me. Okay, okay. Well, well how about Chris? He says, well, you know, Chris, he loves God. 
He loves you. It's amazing what Chris has been doing. So he actually is giving me 2000 a month. I don't really know why. I didn't ask him for it. I didn't tell him I had a greater need. He's just giving more for some reason. It's just a number. <laughs> the question for you, if I'm this wealthy businessman, y'all are distracting my illustration. If I'm a wealthy businessman that has been carrying on this $10,000 deal every month, I'm going to look at Mike and say, good, it's going to keep coming. You're faithful to what I asked. Thank you very much. I'm going to look at Oscar and say, unfortunately, you're not keeping the deal. And the $10,000 is going to either seriously decrease or may stop altogether. But over here, I'm going to come to Chris and go, look, I don't even know why you are doing what you're doing, going way above and beyond what I've asked you to do in taking care of that which is mine, but I'm going to bring increase. Because see, I used to be giving 10 to this guy over here, and I was getting nothing in return, so I'm going to start giving you his 10. Thank you. Thank you guys. Have a seat. Appreciate your illustration there. Now... At this point, you guys are smart enough to figure out where that's going and everything. And you say, well, that's kind of a silly illustration. That's a far stretch, Jimmy. I don't know about that. It's not a far stretch. The Bible refers to the church as the bride of Christ. And God knew that for the church to function in a modern world in 2015, that it took money. It takes money, which leads us to point number five. The fifth reason we should tithe is because it funds the mission. It says that you believe in the mission that people should go to heaven and not to hell, that marriages should be rescued, families should be restored, and that is what takes place here. Let me tell you some of the amazing, I can't tell you all of the stories, but people have called and said, I would like to visit your church, I really would like to get my family in the church, but we can't afford the child care, so what does it cost to put a kid in your nursery? Marriages come to me and say, look, we really need help, we've tried to do this on our own, um, what do you charge for marriage counseling? My answer is always nothing. Are you serious? God's people give because they believe the local church is the hope of the world. And because of that, these doors are open every Sunday morning and people come to know about Jesus. These doors are open every day of the week. So they offer something like that and we still whatever. And, and we work with couples and we work with families and we minister to youth. And we give out to people in the community. And we provide free child care so that somebody can come in here and hear the gospel. And we pay for coffee so that people will be awake to hear the gospel. And whatever else it takes, we believe in the mission of the local church on planet earth. And, and I just want to, if you don't believe in the mission of the local church, specifically the church that you're in, go find one that you do so you can tithe there. It should never be a question of, well, I don't know, I'd like to tithe, but I'm not sure I like what they do with the money. In a minute, I'm going to show you what we've done with your money. We like to be transparent. And if there's anything that you object to about that, then please find a church where your conscience is clean because right now the enemy is robbing you because you're robbing God. And I want to help you change that. So our response to this should be incredibly simple. It's that long in my notes. What is our response? Honor God with your first fruits. Become like Abel, not like Cain. Cain said, well, I'm going to do this. I'm going to pay the electric bill, and I'm going to pay the mortgage, and I'm going to pay off Visa, and I'm even going to pay extra on my debt so that Dave Ramsey will be happy with me. But then, God, there's just nothing left for you. Abel, on the other hand, I don't know if you've ever really thought through what Abel really did. Here's what Abel did. Abel took his first animal, 
and he gave it to God. He did not know at that time if there would be more born to the flock. As far as he was concerned, he wasn't giving his first, he was giving his only. He did not know if anything else would be healthy. He didn't know if the animals would die in the next birth process and the one that came out wouldn't be able to produce. He had no idea of his future, but he took his first, he took his best, he took his only and said, hear God. Abraham did the same thing with Melchizedek. We read about that. He didn't say, well, Melchizedek, I don't really know if you need it. Looks like you're doing all right. After all, you brought me bread and stuff, wine. I mean, that's wine, man. That's not even water. You must be doing all right. I'm going to keep it for myself. No, he said, look, here's the thing. Giving God the first tenth is an act of worship. And when I give it to you, what you do with that is where you are responsible to God. But it is not for me to sit around and say, I want to do this or do that or do that. I know people that will take 10% and they give it to this person, that person, that person, and that person. But that's not the same as tithing. That's giving. You just pick the number. Truly, tithing is where we honor God and we say, here's the first. Here's the best. Now I can't wait to see what you give me after that, like Abel did. So, I'm going to close with something really strange. We're going to do something to help you tithe. I heard about a church that was doing something that sounded like a gimmick. I thought they were crazy. So I went to their website and I read about it. And I wasn't sure what to think of a church that did this. They promised that if you tithed for 90 days and you didn't like it, they'd give you back every penny. And when I first read that, I thought, that sounds like a gimmick. It sounds like a fundraising ploy. Better yet, it sounds like those people in the temple selling stuff, trying to get money that Jesus came in and he kicked the tables over and he was angry about. It sounds like those kind of people. So as the elders, we talked about this and said, what are they doing? Is there any godly reason to do that? Do we want to do that? And I don't know what that church's heart is, but I can tell you what our heart is. We're going to offer you the 90-day tithing challenge. You can read about it on our website. It's very simple. You give God the first 10% for the next 90 days. If he does not show up in your finances, you can have every penny back. No questions asked, no inquisition, no counseling required. Check to you. And it's not a gimmick, because let me explain this. I wouldn't do this if it weren't good with me. When you're sick and your faith is waning and you've prayed and said, God, heal me, and God hasn't healed you. And you said, God, heal me, and you fasted and you prayed, and God hasn't healed you. And just like the gas gauge on your car, it's not full anymore. Your faith gauge is not very high. You go to someone and say, can you pray for me? Because the truth is, I'm not sure God's going to show up. But you seem to be believing God shows up when you pray for people. I really need your faith right now. That's what this is about. For 90 days, we're giving you our faith. We believe the word of God. And we believe it so strongly, we are going to have faith for you. For 90 days, we're going to be your faith. You've got nothing to lose. Because we know God is going to show up. And after God shows up in those 90 days, you don't need our faith anymore. It will be your faith that will encourage you to keep going. Last week, I touched on tithing for just one little minute at the end of my message. And my teenage son was right here, and I guess he felt a little bit guilty. So as the buckets came around, he opened up his wallet, and he pulled out his cash, and he put it in there because he was behind on tithing. We always talk about tithing, but, you know, teenagers, and you guys know how that goes. Clean your room, tithe, brush your teeth. Yeah, it all kind of goes together in the not-quite-going-to-happen category. So he took some out, and he put it in the bucket, And then he went to work last Sunday. 
And he came home from work and he said, Dad, you're right when you preach. Like, <laughs> thanks, son. Amen. 16, you just figured that one out. All right, appreciate that. He had double his normal shift and his tips and all that, whatever it comes down to. Look, I don't know what it is, but I believe you can take our faith for 90 days and you obey God's word and you're going to see God move. And at the end of that, if you have somehow missed out, it's back. You can have it back. It's nothing. This is incredibly simple. God's promise, our faith, what have you got to lose? Will you take the tithing challenge? Will you turn your financial life around? Will you make the change that needs to be made? Put God first. Let's stop living like Cain and let's start living like Abel. Amen? So uh, if you guys would, I'm going to close differently today. I just want to pray a blessing over us. Can I do that? Good. I hope nobody would say no. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much that you truly have blessed us. I know it's so easy in our perspective to get caught up on the car is too old and the house needs this and, and whatever, but the truth is we are so truly blessed. We live in one of the greatest nations on planet Earth. And we spend most of our time trying to figure out which comfort and which pleasure to spend our money on because we are so blessed. And God, I pray that as people in this room today step out and they risk being faithful to your word financially as they seek to give up some pleasures in order to aggressively eliminate debt, as they begin to put a budget into their lives, as they begin to put your financial principles into your life, I pray your blessing on every single one who will take that step and that you will meet their need and do what your word says, that you will pour out a blessing until it literally overflows. God, I pray you show yourself faithful. We thank you because we know that you will. Amen. Amen. If you would stand with me, we're going to worship our provider. And our Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. For more information about us, you can go to gracelife.me. That's gracelife.me. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash gracelifeme and on Twitter at Grace Life Church. Oh,